Today's episode is brought to you by Slay House Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Welcome back to another episode of Slay House Presents. I am your host, Trevor, and with me is my best friend and partner, Caitlin. Yeah. And today we are joined by a very special guest. Rachel Harrison is the national best-selling author of Cackle, Such Sharp Teeth, and The Return, which was nominated for a Bram Stoker Award for Superior Achievement in a First Novel. Her short fiction has appeared in Guernica, Electric Literature's Recommended Reading, as an Audible Original, and in her debut story collection, Bad Dolls. She lives in Western New York with her husband and their cat slash overlord. Her next novel, Black Sheep, is out September 19th, 2023. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you guys this morning. Yeah, we're super excited um, having it just consumed ravenously like you do um, all of your your most recent books. and I, we're just so pleased to have you on the show. I'm pleased to be here. Thank you for, thank you for reading my work. There's a lot of, there's a, a lot of great fiction out there. My like TBR is like behind me, just forever looming. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, you picked up my books of all the books that you could pick up. Yeah, I mean, I'm surrounded by, we're surrounded by TBR stuff everywhere. My, my whole house is just basically one giant TBR. Yes. Um, but I, I feel like what's so special about your connection and one of the reasons why I connected to it, and Kate will share some of the ways she connected to it, is just, um, it feels like you're, you're using um, genre literature to have real meaningful conversations in settings that I feel are very familiar to a lot of people. You know, the, the way that you structure some of your stories um, really makes it feel like there's, there's a symbolic resonance with, you know, experiences that we all have. So I kind of wanted to open up with just um, exploring with you, you know, what were some of the things that you wanted to address in your fiction? And what were some of the choices that you made um, to explore those themes? So I think it's different. It was different with every project. I think starting with the return, um, I wanted to explore my friendships. I had a very close knit group of college friends and we all scattered and um, there was a lot of things we weren't being honest with each other about, maybe because we were embarrassed or we thought the other person wouldn't relate. Um, And so there was just a lot of not talking about things we really needed to talk about. And it caused a lot of tension. And just how difficult it is to go from being down the hall from your best friend to being across the country, (laughs) like um, that transition out of college and the transition from um, into adulthood, really, because in college, you're not, you're an adult, but you're not really adult (laughs) until you, you know, get out in the real world and it kicks you in the teeth. Um, but I wasn't going to just sit with those feelings and confront them in my own life because Mm. it's too difficult. (laughs) Um, and because if I wanted to do that, I would go to therapy, which I probably should do, but instead I just write fiction and I'm like, let me figure out how I feel about this through fiction. Um, and when I wrote that book, I mean, I hoped that someday somebody would read it and it'd be published. And, um, but I, I didn't have an agent. I didn't have an editor. Um, and so I kind of just wrote it for myself to try and again, figure things out. Um, And I think that's why it's really most of my work tends to be grounded in reality because I'm trying to figure out something that is real. But 
in order to motivate myself to confront the things I need to confront in my life, I need monsters and I need <laughs> witches. I need, I need something that may like kind of softens the eases me <laughs> into the hard stuff a little bit. Um, I've kind of always been that way where, I, you know, fiction for me has always been an escape. And so I need to have a little bit of escapism when I'm writing mm -hmm. uh, or else it's too, it's too difficult for me to process things that that's kind of how mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people who enjoy art kind of grow up escaping into fiction and um, you know, our imaginations are coping mechanisms in some, in some way. Um, and so um, I think that's why usually everything feels very grounded in my fiction, except for mm. one thing, because that one thing, the one thing is what I'm clinging to. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I love that though. I, I often think about, you know, like you, I, I, I escape to fiction to, to kind of try to figure out the way that I feel about things, or I try to to work my way through, you know, a difficult situation. And I feel like that's some of the power of art, right? Art should be able to help us confront ourselves externally, right? Um, and I think that that's one of the reasons I turn to fiction and literature so much is because it can present to us um, this kind of externalized internal view you know by by making something universal we also make it very uh personal and vice versa you know by making something very personal we also make it kind of universal what does it say about me since i read smut <laughs> I mean, anything that like i don't know like i think there's this idea from people who aren't who don't read genre fiction that or people who are like turned off by horror because they think it's all blood and guts and gore and if I'm honest I was that way for a while because I'm very squeamish um mm -hmm. but I think there's there's joy and catharsis in the stuff that's that you don't get to explore in your everyday life mm -hmm. that's very rewarding and I think it can en enhance our view of ourselves and the world around us because we're mm -hmm. we're exploring certain emotions like sometimes i think of horror fiction like pressing on a bruise like just testing in like a safe fictional world our emotions mm -hmm. that we don't experience that we may not experience in everyday life but we're curious about or afraid of um to just kind of test it out in a fictional, yeah. fictional, safe fictional space. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you're totally right. Um, the safe fictional space is, uh, it's a way for us, again, to, to kind of hold a mirror up to our emotions, you know, to, to hold a mirror up to ourselves and to, to think about things. I love the metaphor, um, for example, of, of trauma that shows up in, such sharp teeth and how malleable that metaphor really is. You know, you take this werewolf um, and, and turn the transformation of, of, you know, becoming a werewolf um, into this, this metaphor for the many ways that I think our bodies change, you know, through our lives. And in, in your case specifically, um, you know, the, the werewolf in that book serves a number of functions to talk about um, the traumas that the, the, that a woman's body can go through, you know, whether it be um, sexual assault or pregnancy or um, um, puberty, you know, it's, it's like, it serves as such a great avenue for exploring, you know, some of these like monstrous feelings. Um, Kate and I were, were just talking about such sharp teeth um, and the, the many ways that, you know, you symbolize these feelings in something that um, I feel just is, is identifiable, identifiable because of the metaphor. Yeah, I really connected 
with that book. That was the most recent. I actually finished it this morning. Um, I uh, I immediately picked up on the metaphor for this the sexual trauma. Um, the scene where she's in the hospital the morning after her attack and she's realizing that her body is instantly healing and that it's mostly just cuts and bruises now. And the, like, she's realizing, well, there, nobody's going to know how bad it was. It's just internal now. I'm the only one that's going to know. That really hit me from my own personal experience uh, from sexual assault and trauma. That's exactly what goes through your mind, you know, after the fact, you know, there's no outward appearance of what has happened, you know, nobody's going to know what you went through. You can tell them all day long, but there are no word scars. Um, and so that immediately spoke to me. And then just like a few pages down the road, when she wakes up, um, I believe it was after her first transformation, or maybe, I can't remember exactly when it was, but she wakes up and sees her reflection in the mirror. And she realizes, yeah, I think it was after her first transformation. She wakes up from a nap and sees her reflection. And she realizes, I'm forever changed from this. I will never be the same. I actually cried. <laughs> I was sitting with Trevor in the bed and I started crying. And I was like, why am I crying? <laughs> and I think I realized too, from my own personal experience, you do, you look in the mirror, you see yourself, but you also see, you're seeing yourself through the eyes of that trauma. And I think I also realized, you know, she's probably also seeing as I did when you close your eyes or when they're open, all you see is your attacker. She was seeing that monster and she was seeing, like I said, seeing herself through the eyes of that. And it just, it, I looked at him and I said, it finally feels like somebody's seeing me. Somebody's hearing me. Somebody's validating me. So it, yeah, I really, I really connected with that. Uh, <laughs> emotion. Um, I appreciate you saying that because, um, yeah, it was a, it was a hard book for me to write. And again, I kind of, at, at this point, um, like I wrote it and I wasn't under contract when I wrote it. I just wrote it and hoped oh, that wow. my publisher would still be interested <laughs> in working with me. Um, uh, because, you know, the return came out during the pandemic, which wasn't the best time to be a debut author. And luckily, um, they still wanted to <laughs> publish me. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so I, when I was writing it, I, I just was writing it for myself and I try to, it's better for me to just write with other people out of mind, because I think if I thought about other people reading it, I would have been too scared to, to write it. And I think a lot came out on the page that I didn't intentionally, like, it just kind of came out. And then afterwards yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was sure saying some things I was sure saying some things and then I think I was really very terrified to publish this book um just because it there's it's ironic because the book is about like being vulnerable and I yeah. fucking hate being vulnerable um, we all. yeah so and it was interesting because some a lot of what I feedback about what I hear about the book for the most part is um, it's humorous or, um, you know, it's got a kind of um, like a hallmark setup in terms of like, she's going back home to her family and which is true. I mean, it's a perfect way to sum up the general plot. Um, but I did have some fear and maybe it wasn't fear, maybe it was relief at some point that oh, nobody's picking up on the on what the book is actually about. And like these nuances that I put in there that I like 
plucked from a painful place, I was like, okay, they're, they're going unnoticed. And I wasn't sure if I was sad about that, if I did a bad job, if I was relieved that I could kind of stay in obscurity. Um, and then I think the first, the first time I realized people like, no, people are picking up on is when I went on, she wore black. Mm. Um, Agatha brought it up and I was like, Mm. oh yeah, like (laughs) people are seeing it, you know, and, and relating to it. And, um, that made me feel, I cried on that podcast. (laughs) I was just (laughs) like, oh, um, because it's, it's scary to be seen. (laughs) Mm. Um, but it, it goes both ways. Like if somebody is reading it, and they're feeling seen and it's and they feel less alone I mean that's kind of why why I publish if 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 I can make one person feel less alone in this world reading my work then that's why I do it because publishing sometimes like putting your work out there is basically like ripping your heart out of your chest and being like here I hope you like it (laughs) and I'm very sensitive I'm made of glass I can't read good reader I can't do any of that because it crushes me um Mm. and so it's really like really what I need is to have one person tell me this book meant something to me and then I can kind of like I've started it's embarrassing but I started screenshotting nice things people say to me and keeping it in a little (laughs) folder because in those moments of doubt or um you know, if, if I do experience any negativity, I, I, I need to remind myself, like, you need the positive to be there. Right. Yeah. And to know that, like, just to remind myself why I'm, why I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I really appreciate you saying that. And I'm glad it makes me, it makes me feel really good to know that I, you know, to just connect with somebody else on that level is just, very I don't know soothing I guess I mean it makes me sad I don't so part of me wishes nobody could relate to the shitty stuff but um <laughs> if we have to live in a world where this shitty stuff exists at least we can not be alone with it yeah you hate that there are other women out there who have experienced it you really do but as they say misery enjoys company <laughs> yeah. you misery know that, that sounds so shitty yeah. to say but yeah. at least <laughs> at least you know you're not alone yeah you have somebody to talk to um I don't know for me it just it gives me comfort and that sounds weird but it gives me comfort when I meet somebody else who's who's been through something similar no matter how actually similar or worse or better or whatever but just to know that I'm not alone yeah you know um yeah it sucks I I hate that there are other women out there but it is what it is you know yeah we live in a terrible world but it just it for me it makes it in a way it makes it less traumatizing um it gives me hope I tried you know? to put I tried to put hope and humor into the book to make it less heavy because I think and it know, did help yeah the to humor balance it out yeah um, because I think it, it like a lot of the feedback I get is that it's funny it's a funny book it is um but like it has to be funny because if it, it like does. if Rory wasn't funny <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> dark dark book yeah I mean I I feel like that to your point Rachel you know the the humor does help in you know keeping things from just being totally and utterly you know unlivably bleak Um, but I think too it serves as an important counterpoint to the 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 really dark like the really lows you know, of that book, I think it, it helps to, um, to showcase, you know, just how devastating that really is. Cause you know, Rory is tough. She's, mm-hmm. uh, she's an incredibly 
interesting character. And I, I feel like much of the book is her journey for trying to take ownership of her life, you know? Um, but I, I think that it wouldn't have the same effect without that, that humor. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't come away from the book thinking that it was like hilarious, you know, but I did <laughs> think that there were a couple of parts when I, I did laugh and I did, you know, turn to Caitlin and say, I love this book yeah. <laughs> because it, it has such a, an emotional range, you know, yeah. it, 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 um, I think that adds to some of its sense of reality, you know, in, in that, um, I don't know, life doesn't just stop when something traumatic happens. There is a need to continue fighting forward, you know, to try to figure out who you are in the aftermath of something traumatic happening. Yeah. And I think humor is a coping mechanism. Like a lot mm -hmm. of, I mean, I can be very self-deprecating and definitely like, if ever anything gets too serious, I'm like default into joke mode. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's all, and you know, it's with Rory, it's hard to know if it's just her personality or if it is a coping mechanism. I think maybe mm. she's just writing Rory and spending time with her. I think she was just funny and it wasn't a coping mechanism, but for me, <laughs> um, the reason I could infuse humor in is because I I know how to come up with a joke on the spot when I'm feeling mm. uncomfortable or when something is yeah. getting too real so um to me it rang it rang true um to just and to, to my personality because you know if I'm gonna write the heavy stuff in I have to I have to count, I have to counter how, distract, <laughs> laugh, yeah, be, be happy, forget about this heavy stuff over here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like your fiction because I feel like it allows us to interrogate the heavy stuff, you know? Um, I've, I, I feel like in each of, of your books, um, there is, you know, kind of this horrific undercurrent, you know, the, the thing that, um, is the most difficult to confront, whether it, it be, you know, how do you maintain a relationship over time? What happens when the person that you thought you know has changed so dramatically, like in The Return um, or in Cackle, you know, like coming into your own power, like trying to understand your value intrinsically and not extrinsically is an incredibly difficult journey. You know, um, in, in Bad Dolls, there were several stories, each of those stories, you know, focuses on a character who has like a real, a real kind of life crisis. Maybe it doesn't seem tremendous world shaking in the sense of so many other books, but to these people, to these characters, it is world shaking. And it's difficult to work through all of that. So I think that what I, I especially love about your fiction is that, yeah, you, you, you pack in some of this darkness, but then you also show your characters working through that, trying to figure that out. And I, I think that um, not to say that it, it serves or, or has to serve as a model for how we might also figure it out. But I think it adds encouragement to those of us who are dealing with these things, you know, to, to, to start working them out, you know, to see that, um, you know, life continues and people struggle. And that's kind of the point. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Am I making any kind of sense? Yeah, you, you are. I, I think, you know, I... I sometimes feel insecure about my place in horror fiction because I do infuse levity into my work and most of my endings are not dark. Um, mm. uh, so, but I, like for me to function, I need to have hope. And mm. I think, and honestly, I feel like a lot of, a lot of horror fiction has hope because mm -hmm. like horrible 
sometimes unimaginable stuff is happening in these in in horror fiction and whatever story and if your protagonist just was like oh fuck it and just laid down and died then you wouldn't have a story <laughs> like in all horror <laughs> fiction it's about fighting against the unimaginably horrific and so I think horror in general is a hopeful genre and for me you know most of my stuff is is more everyday like everyday so far what I've released is just everyday struggle of like Mm. you know what is it like to be in an unhappy relationship and reply hazy um or uh you know what is what is it like to have continued to put your value in what other people think of you Mm. um, in terms of cackle. Um, But to me, the everyday horrors are kind of scarier to me than like something completely unfathomable um, because, or like a, you know, or Freddy Krueger or whatever. Yeah. Because like living, living these like death by a thousand cuts, you know, like what is it like to Mm. live with an eating disorder? Mm. Every Mm -hmm. day is fucking torture. I'm sorry. I'm cursing a lot. Every day is torture. No, please. We're we're sailors over here. (laughs) I I don't know that I have a regular vocabulary that doesn't include cursing. All right. I'm relieved. (laughs) Um, but it's, it's torture. It's, and it's, Mm. and it's not, you know, and it's years and years and years of your life consumed. And, um, you know, there's a scene in, in Goblin, the story in Bad Dolls where, you know, Mm. all her friends are planning on going out to dinner and she knows she's like the whole time she knows she's not going because she, she wouldn't enjoy herself. And she's, Mm. retreating from life to have this everyday experience and to me like what is more horrifying than that kind of self-torture of just Mm. like you're not to be depriving yourself of joy Mm. and have it be so consumed by it and like to not see an end to it to have lived with it for years and to know in some form it's going to exist in your life. Like you're never just going to like go out and eat a slice of pizza and not (laughs) think about it at all. Mm. And that sucks. That's That's scary (laughs) to me. That's scary. That's, that's the stuff that scares me more than, more than it, like more than anything, because it exists and it's happening versus something mm. that could potentially happen. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, horror is different for everybody. And I think that's what makes it such an exciting genre. But I, I think for what I'm exploring, because it's so grounded in reality, if I was just going to leave it bleak, <laughs> then I couldn't go on living myself because I have to believe that there's a way out of these everyday horrors Mm. i i want to circle back to some of your influences in fiction but i also wanted to 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 just kind of visit that idea of like a death by a thousand cuts i think this is you you explained so so succinctly one of the reasons why i love all of your books um the return especially um I, i forgive me i'm so terrible with remembering character names but the main character in the return Elise. What was her name? Elise. Yes, Elise. Um she she constantly has this kind of running like monologue with herself or running dialogue with herself where she's she's considering like the cost of everything and the the, the cost of all of these opportunities that her friends are kind of planning for her and I I, I live that existential dread every day. Um, I'm a, I'm a college professor 
And uh, I can tell you exactly how much money I earn <laughs> in any single day. And it is not great. And it certainly is not uh, in, in, in keeping with what I paid to get my very expansive education. And so, you know, I, I am frequently um, just inundated by the world of like, wouldn't you like to go to Cabo? Wouldn't you like to take this vacation? Wouldn't you like to, you know, visit all of these different uh, places to have these experiences, do these things like the people you see on Instagram or that you see in these ads or you see in, and I'm just like, how, how am I supposed to do that? You know, I have to count my pennies to make sure that I have <laughs> enough to pay my bills. It's I just really resonated with that. Yeah, it's a hard, and I think there's a lot of like weird, there shouldn't be, absolutely shouldn't be, but there's a lot of shame because of social media and because mm. you're constantly seeing other people do things and have things and wear things. And, you know, there's targeted ads where it's like, this was made for you. Don't you want it? It's like, yes, I want it. You know, I want it. That's why you're targeting me. And, <laughs> and especially, you know, when there's a discrepancy and I think it's, it's, it's unfortunately getting worse. People who already were well off are getting more well off and people who were just mm. hanging on are like now really just say, I mean, if we want to talk about horror, we're talking about inflation, how much a fucking box of cereal costs, <laughs> but like these, it's really hard. It's really, really hard. And I think it's a hard thing for us to talk about and be open about, um, and to not be ashamed of, to just be like, I cannot afford that. And to, to like, I think in the past, maybe I wouldn't have wanted to say it because I wouldn't want to make the other person feel uncomfortable too mm. even though like it's just the truth or to have to make up other excuses mm. to try and cover for that and basically be lying <laughs> like oh well I have mm. other plans that's a lie to get out of telling the truth which is I can't afford it but yeah I mean I it's a reality of life and it's it's a it's a everyday horror um and so that's why I put it in the book and because if it's a lived experience for me. So, um, mm. but yeah, I mean, unfortunately that book doesn't end with Elise winning the lottery. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should have, I should have maybe given her a lucky scratch off at the end to make up for the experience. Uh, <laughs> what a, what a twist that would have been for yeah. sure. <laughs> she makes so, it out and then she has a, a winning day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, right. It turns out I was in the will. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, so what what are some of the things that that when you are like seeking out things to read, you know, what are some of the um the, the stories that you really connect with? Or or what are some of the things that you feel influence your work most greatly? So I think some of the the work that influenced me, um, Amy Hempel is a short story writer. She's one of my favorite writers, just beautiful, beautiful sentences. I like to study her sentences. Um, mm -hmm. I also am a big fan of Ann Patchett. Um, Truth and Beauty was a big influence on me. Um, growing up, I, I was an eclectic reader. Um, I know a lot of horror authors are like, I was a religious Stephen King reader. I didn't read him until I was older. Um, mm. But most recently, because the genre is ex like experiencing such a boom, I'm just very influenced and inspired by like the contemporary landscape. And, and mm. I try, um, I try to read as many books as I can. A lot of times I'm reading books that haven't come out yet because I'm reading for yeah. blurbs. Um, but I try and balance it out with books that are like, I'm always ahead, but also behind. Um, but recently um, I, I should pick different books because I feel like I'm just talking like I'm talking about the same books on podcasts, but um, a book that really, really blew me away recently was This Thing Between Us by Gus Moreno. Um, oh okay yeah that was really striking in different 
and unique and just beautiful prose. And like, um, I was really blown away by that book. Um, and then I'm going to try and pick a book that I haven't spoken about a ton, which is, um, so happy for you by Celia Lasky. Um, it's, if anybody listening has read or listened to bad dolls, the story bachelorette in terms of like Mm. having like a, a bridesmaid who really doesn't want to be there. It's kind of, (laughs) it's, it's, it's a similar concept to, um, so happy for you, um, which kind of is our world, but a step to the left where like in this Mm. universe, like the wedding industry is like a little bit big brothery, not to like an extreme, (laughs) but just a little bit more than, um, and our protagonist is asked to be a bridesmaid for her, um, childhood, teenage best friend, even though now they're grown and don't have too much in common and kind of the, how everything unfolds from there. Um, but just very, like, just a really great tone in terms of being dark and cutting, but also very, um, funny and beautiful and moving. Um, and just one of the best friendship books I've ever read. So Mm. I try, but that's not a horror book and mostly I read horror, but I try and mix it up a little bit, but Mm. I tend to gravitate towards stuff that has some sort of little speculative gem in it. Um, Mm. But yeah, I'm just, I think I can be, I'm just inspired by everything that I pick up. There's something to aspire to in everything that I read. And so I think for me, the key is to just continue to consume (laughs) because (laughs) I think the more you read and, you know, the more you immerse yourself in art, the more inspired that you will be. I don't know. Was that a cheesy answer? No, it's, it's <laughs> okay. not cheesy at all. I, I agree with you so much. I am absolutely uh, what you would call it an eclectic reader. I definitely have um, my weird, stupid passions that uh, I, I don't think anyone should take on. Like I, I continue to read every Star Wars book uh, that has ever been published. Um, not lying. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's terrible. Um, I, I, hate it way more than I like it. And yet there's just something I can't let go of it. Right. Um, but I also read very widely. Um, and I, I'm constantly, you know, just kind of tripping over stuff that I wouldn't have thought was really my thing. And then it turns out that, um, no, it, it was totally my thing. Um, you know, for, for example, um, oh, it's right on that bookshelf, but I can't read the stupid title. Um, nor I think is normal people by um oh yeah. Sally Rooney yeah Sally Rooney um I had never read anything by Sally Rooney before and I just uh kind of stumbled across what I felt was a really interesting cover and that book broke me it just like it it totally broke me and I was so frustrated because I'm like I have been both of these characters throughout my life like like I have been in those situations I have felt those feelings and um yeah it, it just it wrecked me <laughs> that book that book brought me out of a reading slump early in early during the pandemic and then mm. I went on probably like the best reading streak I'd ever been on but um I, I wanted to read it because I hadn't read anything by her and she was you know so celebrated and then I have you watched the Hulu series it's, I have not I have not seen it is it stunningly is it- good it is okay. stunningly good. Um, so yeah, once you both read the book, then you'll watch the series watch together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah, that's a, yeah, that book will, that book will get you. Yeah. <laughs> Sneaks up on you too. Cause her prose is, her prose isn't flowery. It's very, but like every, like a paragraph, you know, two paragraphs. And then all of a sudden you'll be like, <gasps> like a line, I'll just take the, <laughs> air out right out of your lungs so yeah yeah she she really just um floored me through through that that book um and I just I felt so emotionally connected to her characters too um which I I find is 
you know, with some of the stuff I read, sometimes I do have a strong connection to the characters and sometimes that's not entirely the case. Um, I just finished Almakatsu's um, Red London and um, I, I love those characters. Like I love Lindsay Duncan. I loved um, Emily in this, this new book. Um, and I felt like I was really wrapped up in their stakes for each other. Um, it was, you know, such a, a great experience. But I also find that the, that's kind of rare. You know, sometimes I'll come across a book where the character isn't really the point. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, that's kind of a missed opportunity. Yeah, some work is more character driven, some is more plot driven, you know, it just depends. Yeah, and I think you need both in fiction. You know, I, I think there's absolutely a place for the plot driven stuff. Um, but I also, you know, admit I, I love character driven um, narratives because again, I, I feel it comes back to, you know, that, that human purpose for art. You know, it's, it's like what, what really is art trying to do except to, you know, kind of externalize the human, the human experience, the human existence. And um, I feel like, you know, art does that best when it focuses on a character with you know, meaningful decisions, you know, meaningful agency. And, um, and, and so we're able to kind of peer into their lives and, and kind of see some of that bear out. Yeah. What do you think? I agree completely. I'm trying to think if any? I can think of any more, like something that's like solely plot driven that's like also really because sometimes a concept and a like a plot can be so strong that the characters don't need mm -hmm. like it's a, it's just a different kind of experience like something there's art that you can derive like personal value from and like that relatability and then there's art that's like just entertaining and I'm trying to think if I can think of something that's just entertaining that doesn't require its characters to pull you through I'm trying to think of an example but I'm failing to I'll be curious if people are listening to this and they can think of something that is so plot driven yeah. that the characters don't really matter then I yeah I mean I I feel like I can bring up a lot of bad examples you know <laughs> um like like my Star Wars fiction is is yeah. always I, I it's weird because sometimes a, a writer will really have a great handle on the characters. And so it's like, let's read this book about Princess Leia. And really it's talking about, you know, the difficulty of, of like trying to be the woman that does everything, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm like, that's really interesting. I really like this. And then there are like the Star Wars novels. That's like, uh, the vampire's trying to blow up a planet again. And it's like, who yeah. fucking cares? Like, <laughs> like, at this point in time, there are a billion of these planets. Are we really going to miss another one? <laughs> that's terrible to say, but. When, when you blow up enough planets, it, the stakes become, it's like how in Marvel, when they're like, we've killed off mm -hmm. this character. And it's like, no, they're not dead. And then when they actually kill off a character, you don't care. Cause you're just like, all right, whatever. They'll come back in some form. And if they don't, I'm exhausted. <laughs> like, I don't care. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I totally hear you as a, and I, I grew up with comic books. It's like, it, it was the, the thing that I just consumed most completely. I actually went to college originally because like, I wanted to study comic books um, and, and think about how they work and, and um, you know, the, the iconography of a character and that sort of thing. Uh, but it is exhausting. Um, it's and it 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 keeps going through these weird world breaking cycles. And it's like I didn't fall in love with Spider Man because he's got to save the galaxy. I loved Spider Man because like that dude broke and uh, he, he's broke and his powers don't fix anything. You know, right. like he he still can't pay his rent in spite of the fact that he can lift cars over his head. Yeah, so it's kind of like. What's it gonna take to live in this world? I get so bored with superheroes when it's always like the world's gonna end. I'm like, I don't care about that. I wanna know how Spider-Man's gonna pay his rent because that's the thing I'm worried about, you know? Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. And I think it's interesting because I, I think we're kind of watching in terms of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, people get a little bit tired. Mm. And even, you know, I think even in, in Star Wars and it's, mm. we maybe this is off topic, but the we, they get a good concept and they just squeeze. <laughs> like <laughs> We're going to like, like, I love Babu Frick, but I don't need a Babu Frick series. Like, you know what I mean? Yes. So. Yes. Like I've, I've had, I've enjoyed my time with Babu and now I'm ready to move on. Like we don't need, I I get asked a lot if I, if I would consider sequels. And I think when, when I finished writing, like finished such sharp teeth, I was so like emotionally attached to all the characters that I considered Mm. it. But I just don't know if I could because I feel like it's very important for me to move on. And also, like, mm. if you mess up a sequel, then you kind of mess up the first. Like, yeah. it, it, have you ever, like, yeah. seen or read a sequel? I'm not I'm not asking for you to name it. Because be <laughs> I mean, it's Star Wars. Yeah, like, absolutely yeah. Star Wars. But. Um, you need the Disney sequels. Yeah, where it's just like, now I can't watch, like the first little mermaid without thinking about how <laughs> shitty eric and ariel's kid is like you know what i mean like <laughs> so like maybe they shouldn't have been together because this yeah. you know like it kind of undoes some of the good stuff that you I, not to say there are not good sequels out there i'm just saying that yeah. i could not pull one off and i fear that i i know that i would be fall into the bad sequel there's plenty of brilliant, brilliant sequels out there that enhance the first one. Um, yeah. First example, Clown in a Cornfield. Adam oh my Caesar. gosh. The sequel oh. fucking rocks. There's plenty of it good does. sequels, but yeah. I am not talented to pull, pull said thing, sequel off. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't, I didn't know what I was getting into Clown in a Cornfield because um, I just read that last year after everybody was just, you know, kind of glowing about it. Um, and I was like, I don't know. I have a I have a deep phobia of clowns to begin with. Like they they mess me up. Um, I, I don't know if I've ever told you this story. I was drunk at a uh, not a Mardi Gras, but like a, a festival in Spain. And um, I had no idea that it was this big street festival. It was around the same time as Mardi Gras. It was like their their version of Mardi Gras. And there were clowns just running the street. And I saw one and I bolted. (laughs) And they found me on the other side of town because apparently I did not stop running until I ran out of city to run away from. And um, I just, so I was like, I don't, I don't know if Clown in a Cornfield is going to work for me because I'm already like upset by clowns. Um, and, and then I, I voraciously consumed the book because I'm like, oh, geez, it's not really about clowns at all. It's really about like class warfare. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I just, both of those books are, are perfect. Um, and it, it's so great how he continues a conversation through the sequel. Um, it yeah. really kind of does its own thing. It's amazing. But also very character driven. So I feel uh, yes, to think of it. Yeah, maybe it doesn't true. exist. Maybe something very entertaining that doesn't re- rely on character does not exist. I'm like turning around to look at my bookshelf, but I, I like character driven stuff too. So yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm hard pressed to figure it out either because uh, I, I don't keep books that are not like character driven and really good. We were, we stumped ourselves. Yeah, I <laughs> I'm I'm gonna think about this all week now. <laughs> Let's just go through everything I've ever read. So tell us a little bit about um, Black Sheep, which is coming up in in September. Um, I haven't I haven't. This is early in the in the process in terms of like I haven't started doing publicity for it yet, so I haven't uh-huh. thought of the pitch. Okay. Uh, but it is more of a family drama. Um, it's a little different. I try and do something new every time. I try and challenge myself a little bit. Um, it's still me. It's still first person. It's still my voice. So if you liked my first three books, 
you kind of know what you're signing yourself, <laughs> like you kind of know what you're getting yourself <laughs> into, though it is a little bit like it's different, but it's, it's me. So, um, but yeah, it's a bit of a family drama. Uh, obviously black sheep doesn't quite fit in returns home. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. I have to figure out like a hooky pitch for it. It was inspired a little bit by, um, I really like like the A24 horror, like hereditary mm. and midsummer and then after and i kind of always thought like oh like i like horror that's about something and i like you yeah. know elevated horror blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> and then i humbled myself because i watched malignant and i was like i just had the best time ever <laughs> and like to just like kind of go bananas and yes. I mean I guess maybe that's the example of like you don't need characters to I mean it's a movie but like right the care like you're not invested in any of the characters you're just like yeah yeah this is I, no, wild I, I totally, and I'm having a great time I totally and, get that and yeah so I I wrote so I was kind of like no 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 I, I'm not like an like I want to marry like something that's like kind of batty and entertaining and like a little bit bananas with something like a more like uh like grounded yeah like emotional story um yeah. so and I, I my my protagonist is young she's my youngest protagonist she's 23 she's trying to figure out her her place in the world mm-hmm. after growing up with a family that she didn't in an environment that she didn't quite fit in she doesn't quite fit in in the world either so um mm. which i think a lot of people in their 20s or i don't know i'm 33 and i'm in the same boat of trying to figure out <laughs> where do i fit in do i fit in who the hell am i um and so kind of those themes but with a little bit of of uh darkness and mm. grittiness but also some fun bananas. Just what? What's going on? Um, <laughs> so so kind of yeah. like bar- barbarian, which I, I felt like married the, you know, the concept of just the batshit. Like, what is this? What is happening? Uh, but also, you know, kind of the clear and cogent statement about things. Yeah, I, I would aspire to be something like that. It's something in the middle. But I wanted to do something a little bit more. I've said this before uh, that I, I'm having a little insecurity about because there's because cackle was a little bit more whimsical and because Mm. such sharp teeth was balanced out with a lot of humor of me wanting to feel like I'm a, I'm a horror writer. Like I, (laughs) I'm, I sit here. Um, and so I I think this book is a little bit more like me being like, as I was writing it, being like, I am a horror writer. (laughs) Gross. (laughs) like you know having those as I was writing it so um it's it's different it's um it's it's heartfelt but it's a little campy and um I I'm very nervous about it but that's a problem for September Rachel (laughs) not a problem (laughs) for February Rachel so uh and hopefully um, hopefully September Rachel will have like because I was really anxious for such sharp teeth to come out but by the time I was having to like wrestle with the fact that it was going to be out in the world. I was doing work on something else, so I didn't care. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, hopefully September Rachel will have other anxieties on her plate as well. well Not hopefully I mean, she will. <laughs> for what it's worth, um, I've read all of your books now and uh, I can safely say, I mean, like you're one of my favorite horror writers. Oh, um, if not one of my favorite, favorite writers period I did not know going in that I would connect so strongly with each of the different books because I also think too I I think there are a lot of guys who look at like a book like Cackle and they think well is this really for me and it's like yes it should be (laughs) you know like you should definitely read this and I found such value um not just in in the things that it said to me as as worries that I absolutely have had, but also it 
all of these books carry such value in the ways that it also allows me to understand more of, you know, some of the things Caitlin feels and thinks about and worries about, you know, we've had such great conversation around these books. Um, and I think that, um, you absolutely are a horror writer. I mean, like I've read so much horror. I think there's space for the kind of horror that you're bringing to us. There's a need for that kind of horror. And I think too, that what's so special about it is like, you know, Caitlin is not normally a horror writer at all or a horror reader at all. And, um, you know, now she's read all of your books and we've been on this journey together of reading other horror. And, um, you know, she read Eric LaRocca for the first time. Um, Eric, Eric, a genius, a true innovator and a genius. Absolutely. We, we talked, uh, we had an episode where we talked about, um, oh, what was the book? Um, Things have gotten worse yeah. since we last spoke. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, just utterly brilliant. Um, so I, what I'm saying is like, yes, you belong in this community. You know, like you are a name that that we absolutely associate with with horror. Thank you. I like how I came on your podcast and now you're reassuring me. <laughs> like, <laughs> hello, I'm here for an interview and also self-esteem and reassurance, please. <laughs> well, I mean, if that's the if that's the service that I can provide, I'm here for it. I am always rushing up to anybody that I that I know that, you know, whose work I've read just to be like, your let me explain to you exactly the way that your art has impacted my life. I did that with Almakatsu. I did that with um, uh, Daniel. I don't think Daniel Krauss was ready for me. Um, I saw him at, at StokerCon and and I was just like, um, I need to talk to you about the shape of water and the shape of my life. And uh, <laughs> he was just not he was not ready for that. Uh, Brian McCauley. Um, after meeting Brian McCauley, I of the Reaper. Oh my gosh, such an incredible book. And, and after Brian I read the book, the I was sweetest. like, verse number one, let me heap upon you all of the praise that I have for this book. Uh, but also I watched all of your movies and we got to talk about that too. <laughs> um, yeah, at, at Laurel Hightower, because um, I was at StokerCon last year, that's where I met a, a lot of these folks. And um, uh, I, I met Laurel Hightower in a, a hotel lobby and I just walked up to her and I said you're Laurel Hightower and we're gonna be friends <laughs> and um I think that's just that's the way I live my life like I said uh you know kind of before we started recording um y'all are my heroes and uh if if I can if I can just tell you in in a couple of minutes why I love your stuff I'm gonna do it you know I but- I speak for myself when I say <laughs> we appreciate it, but um, yeah, I think it's like, like I said, it's scary putting your stuff out there. And I mean, I'm very lucky to be able to do it, but it, it does like, it can be nerve wracking. And, um, you know, I think all, a lot of us, a lot of authors put a lot of themselves into their work. And so mm-hmm. um, it, to, like if somebody read cackle and was like annie was so annoying i'd be like i know i'm very annoying like i know like, <laughs> like I, there's a lot of me in that character so it's interesting or if, you know if someone reads the return and they're like these girls are so obnoxious i'm like yeah yeah it's it's true <laughs> i live with myself i know um but um it's just funny sometimes to get feedback where it's like um where if it's critical of the characters it's like I've come to accept that I know a little bit it's critical of me and it's like, don't take anything personally, but, um, it is, it it is funny because I mean, I think all of our work is unique to us. And, um, so because we are who we are and, you know, our voice is going to be there. Um, well, um, I don't want to eat up too much more of your time. Um, thank you so much for coming on the program with us today. Um, we're very much looking forward to your next book, which comes out September 19th. Um, where can people find you online? 
Um, so I am on Twitter at RachFaceLogic. I am on Instagram and TikTok at Rachel Harrison's Ghost. And my website is rachel-harrison.com. Uh, I should be more active on social closer to when the book comes out, taking a little bit of a hiatus to rewire my brain. <laughs> um, but yeah, come hang out. Um, that's where people can find me. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for coming on our show, for, for gracing us with your presence and for having these really meaningful conversations. Thank you. This, I mean, I definitely should be thanking you. <laughs> this was very nice and very reassuring for me, <laughs> a deeply insecure person. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciate thank you. it. Yeah.